Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com and by DieHard. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, the voice of MotorWeek. Hey, I'm John Davis, and welcome to our MotorWeek podcast number 112. And joining us in Studio C today today is producer-writer Brian Robinson. Pleased to be here. And assistant producer Greg Carlos. That is me. And writer Patrick Lucas. Hey, now. Hey, we're going to have our lightning round and our viewer question later. But first, over the next several podcasts, we're going to be covering uh, our annual winter trip to uh, the two-mile road course at Roebling Road Raceway outside of Savannah. Uh, This is our one chance a year to... Get together a very special group of cars, take them down there for three days, and really uh, uh, ring them out. And we had quite a a group this time, including some of our drivers' choice winners. So we're going to start with um, two of the most, um, shall we say, um, hellacious vehicles we've driven in a long time. The 2015 Dodge Charger and Dodge Challenger Hellcats. Okay, folks, we know they got 707 horsepowers, but is there more to these cars than that? Uh, yes and no. I mean, that's really the by far the best thing about them. Um, but when we had them on the track, I mean, they were not nearly as intimidating as I was expecting. I mean, uh, they weren't like Viper-ish at all, where you're constantly on edge. They were actually uh, pretty easy to drive, very fun. Yeah, I'd say the, the Charger... Um was actually pretty pretty cool in the track. Uh, that doesn't have the manual. Our uh, our Challenger had the manual. Our uh, Charger had the automatic, and I was actually pretty impressed with that automatic on the track. Um, the, the Charger was more locked down. I felt like the Challenger, you felt like it was a little bit wishy washy. Not to say that it's as bad as Challengers in the past, mm-hmm. but um, certainly not something that wants to be thrown around. Um, the cool thing was is that with so much horsepower, I mean, you can get that tail end out at will and it's actually pretty easy to control so you can i mean if you go out with uh, the mindset of just doing some drifts and uh you know getting that tail end out uh, you can have a great time yeah the uh as far as straight line the the charger with that eight speed is actually supposed to be quicker but mm-hmm. it's like impossible to get that thing to hook up uh, i think our even, even with the launch control and everything which is extremely programmable right i mean yeah. you can yeah, you can dial in when you want to launch. You can dial in when you want RPMs of every shift to happen. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of programming. But, yeah, we just couldn't get it to hook up. So I think our times were a little quicker in the Challenger. But It was so yeah. weird driving those cars around that track. I mean, we're used to driving sports sedans and sport coupes that are substantially smaller. And you've got this lot of room inside, you know. I mean, the seats were good and they held you in place. But it really was more like flying a plane or a ship or something. It's pretty bizarre to be yeah. standing on the side of the track when you guys were shooting for, for camera when we were, you know, going our hardest. Um, you just hear, when coming up the straightaway, you just hear this supercharger whine from like half a mile away. <laughs> and then and then as it's going past you, all you hear is the exhaust. And it's just, it's it's a pretty uh, otherworldly kind of sound. And yet driving them on the street, they were pretty docile. Yeah, mm. they were, surprisingly. Yeah, you would have no clue if you just let your neighbor take it out for a spin, especially if you gave him the uh, the lame 500 horsepower key. Uh, <laughs> he would have no clue, uh, yeah, that there was all that lurking down in there. 
Now, okay, two of you are not old enough, but Brian and I can think back a little bit to when, uh, 20 years ago, when you would get something like this from a domestic manufacturer, you'd get in it. And, of course, the engine would be great, but the transmission wouldn't be very good. The suspension would be so stiff that basically your teeth would fall out of your mouth. They were very unsophisticated cars. Not this one, right? Yeah, yeah, I don't think think people give the – Chrysler enough credit for what they've done with the Charger and the Challenger both. Uh, I mean, they're still not – they still have some work to do with them. I, I wouldn't say they're perfect, um, especially the, the Challenger more so than the Charger. I think the Charger is a great piece. I think when it comes down to the Challenger, you know, it's still third place to, as far as to Mustang and Camaro. Hmm. But uh, I think the Charger in particular is a great piece. And not just for police forces anymore. <laughs> I want to hear more about the old days. Tell us more stories, guys. <laughs> Tell us a story. You wouldn't believe it. Guys. You wouldn't believe the <laughs> stuff we used to drive and rave about. would fall out all the time. <laughs> all right, let's move on to our um, our car, our best car of the year, the uh, Ford Mustang GT that uh, just won our Drivers' Choice Awards Best of the Year. Now, this was the first time that I had had a chance to drive the Mustang GT on a track, and I know that we had some limited time before that. Okay. When we first got to Roebling Road, there was some comments by one of the staff that the car, the Mustang GT, felt a little softer than they expected. That seemed to change as we were there for a couple of days. What were your – and that person's not here today, so I won't, I won't ask them to defend their comments. But give me your impressions. Uh, here's the stock GT, not a Shelby, nothing, no 350. Uh, first time at Roebling Roads. What did we think of it? Yeah, I mean, all the hoopla made about the turbo 2.3 liter EcoBoost, um, you know, if I were going to buy a Mustang, I would still buy the 5 liter, and that's what we had it there, manual mm-hmm. transmission. Uh, it, for a stock GT, as you know, as you highlighted, it's certainly the the most uh, capable that we've had before. Um, I mean, there's a reason they make GT350s and GT350Rs coming. Um, it's not perfect on a track, but it's certainly impressive for a stock GT. For a stock streetcar. Guys? Yeah, I'd have to agree. Uh, it's good. Uh, could be better, though. Uh, again, that's why they have so many different variations. <laughs> yeah, that's why there is a better version. Yeah. yeah um, so I would Did like it to get surprise that you? Did it surprise you one way or the other? I, I, when we had it here at the office for a little bit, I thought it was very mechanical and very kind of clunky. But then I started driving it when we had it down at the track. Um, I didn't go too hard driving mm-hmm. out there um, down the track. But um, I kind of got more used to it, and I, I liked the way it felt. It felt good. It was a good balance of mechanical, kind of rough and, you know, Mustang. Kind of American. Right, right. what you expect from Mustang yeah. plus a modern, you know, Yeah, generation. more refined feel to right. it, for sure. Yeah. I, I will ask you this question. Um, you know, for, for many long-time Fords always claimed the Mustang was a sports car, and a lot of us, that, because it's got a back seat, took issue with that, and it didn't even have a, uh, an independent rear suspension. Do you think they have earned the title sports car now? Yeah, I think so. I think part of the original comments were uh, they were the particular driver you're talking about was expecting more uh, just with the new independent rear. Mm-hmm. Uh, was expecting a whole different feel, and it doesn't have a whole different feel. It's just a lot better of the same feel. If that makes any sense, I, don't know. I, I guess I actually think it it tips a little bit to different. But yeah, I buy it. I buy into um, what you're saying. I was going to say it, it i think it's definitely more of a sports sports car now because i think of the same reason that we praise the golf so much mm-hmm. because so many different kinds of powertrains you can get and um and you know obviously the relatively the same body but yeah different so many different faces of mustang now mm. there's a bunch of engines there's high performance variants there's your everyday kind 
I think they've kind of transcended the pony car. Um, I'll go ahead and uh, pick on it a little bit, though. Um, a lot of us had mentioned that it's a little bit quiet inside when we were driving, um, which is good on the road, I guess, if you want a quiet car. But actually on a track, it's hard to hear your shift points, and it's huh. hard to hear when you're, uh, you know, it's – I just wish it was a little bit louder on the inside. Interesting. So interesting comment. Yeah, one of the one of the few negative things about it. All right, let's move on now to uh, a couple of other vehicles. One that um, just had in at the office, and it's the new Toyota Camry, and we've done our road test on it. And we've talked about it. When we went to the preview, and even though 2015 was a, a refresh, as we would call it, for America's favorite sedan, they actually changed. A lot on the vehicle, short of the drivetrains. Okay. Toyota Camry, never one of our favorite cars to actually drive. Do you think they've made a significant difference? We had the new sporty trim in. What do you think? Why don't you go first? Because I think I might disagree with whatever you no, said. No, I, I, yeah. I, you know, <laughs> I basically, I think, just summed it up. I think it's more of a change and stepped up a little bit more than they have before. But, uh, you know, is it is it enough? Is it, uh, will people object to it? Uh, what do you think? It's still, you know, basically the go-to car for so many people for a family sedan. I think its Camryness is still fully intact, which is a good thing. It's a big, comfortable, roomy car. Uh, it's super quiet inside. Everyone that's in the car has been commenting on you know how quiet it is. But the whole styling direction, I'm not sure, is the right direction. I mean, I'm not sure how many people want a want their Camry to stand out more. I think most people want their Camry to blend in. Mm-hmm. And uh, just the interior, I think uh, I've heard people rave about how great the interior is. Uh, I found it extremely disappointing. Um, it looks great. I mean, they got some stitching on the dash or what you think is stitching, but then you go touching it and it's like it's just injection it's just molded, injected plastic molded plastic with some painted stitching on there. And um, the just like there's a little storage bin in the dash that's like half falling apart already. So I, I, I don't know. I I think it's if you're a Camry buyer, I think you'll be you'll be happy with it, but I'm not sure. You don't, I don't think know. they'll be attracting mixed, any new like, camera buyers? Or, I, I don't know. I got really mixed feelings well, about I'd it. I'd say, off first glance, they went, they've certainly went back in terms of styling. I don't think it's near anything else in the segment, like Legacy or Sonata or anything like that. Um, so but, you don't but, think that the the slightly more aggressive, bolder look that looks, you know, the grill to me looks like so, it came off of a Lexus. You don't think that's that works? I don't think it does, and it's too close to a Corolla. And I mean, they all have started to look the same: Avalon, mm-hmm. Camry, Corolla. It's just it's not appealing to me. But in terms of actually living with it, I mean, everything you want is there. I do actually like the interior layout of the center stack. I mean, there's big knobs. Mm-hmm. Everything is very easy to see, and it's clear. It's very easy to use. So that is certainly a positive for me. Um, but it's just not. It's like they never, they haven't taken the step that you know Subaru, Mazda, anybody else, even like the lesser selling brands in this mar- or in this uh, segment have taken. Yeah, I I like the look. I think it actually is. I don't think it's a step backwards. I think it's certainly more of an athletic. I guess is like a mm-hmm. nice way of so it. It looks definitely more sporty than some of the other cars in the segment. Um, yeah, but when I got inside. I don't know, this is probably going to come off as a negative thing, but I got inside and I could see, I was like, yeah, this this feels like a Camry. Mm-hmm. For better or for worse, this is what I think a Camry should look and, or does look and feel like. Um, 
And I know that, I don't want to keep bashing on it, but it came in last place in the sedan shootout we just had. Right. right. Which was a little surprising, I yeah, think. Which, but then again, Toyotas don't, they sell well, but they don't tend yeah, to win I, nearly as many awards. I don't think, it didn't strike me as a last place out of, how many cars was that, like 10? Yeah. I think so. A yeah. last place. It didn't strike me as that bad. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just it seemed pretty run-of-the-mill. I'm the right, only one, I guess, that yeah, had a chance to drive all of the different trims and powertrains at one time. And what I noticed was that, um, especially with the new Top Sporty trim, that they now have a wider variety. They, have, they practically have, for the first time, a Camry for every taste. It's not to say that it's super sporty or super unsporty, but there is a variety there that you can select from. And... You pretty much can get either the four or six cylinder engine with either one. I thought they did for a mid cycle refresh. I thought they did much more so than they probably had to do. I don't think anything, I think if they hadn't done anything, it would still probably be America's best selling car. But they recognize that the market's moving very quickly and they stepped up to the plate. And frankly, that's something that Toyota hasn't already done for in the past. I too question whether. Putting a, a more a bolder, much more aggressive look on this class of car makes sense because buyers tend not to ne- necessarily be gravitate towards that. But yet, Sonata's done all right yeah, with that, and found, so has, has Ford. But Sonata so. took a step back in their latest, they, which I do really that. don't. And that's right, they did, and they did because not everybody liked it. Yeah, that and Subaru yeah. as well. They they took a yeah. more, went more mainstream. So. Yeah, most people when they buy these cars, they buy appliances. Sure. And they don't really want to stand out. So I think I applaud them. And, and because they've got so many trim levels, maybe they're okay with that, you know, that they haven't done that all the way around. Uh, but we'll see. But uh, I think a step forward, but maybe not as big as – I think the consensus is maybe not as big a step forward as, as, as I thought. Could agree is that fair? That, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, Volkswagen R, Golf R. Um, we've uh, just finished our first – uh, chance to drive it, and actually, Greg, you're the one that has driven it. Of course, it, as always. As always. <laughs> uh, everybody probably knows we gave the Golf and the GTI lineup uh, our best small car award this year. Is the Golf R what you expected? Is it a worthy step up in this already impressive lineup? What do you think? Uh, yeah, I would say it is certainly a step tell, up. Tell us what makes it a little bit special. Well, it's got the same uh, two-liter engine that is in the GTI, but it actually has a bigger turbo, and um, I think there's also some uh, like a higher, higher pressure fuel injectors and uh, a couple other workings inside the engine um, that actually give it like 82 more horsepower or something like that. So it's up to 292. That's a lot. Yeah, 280 I mean. pound-feet of torque actually, and it's it's supposed to do zero to 60 in under five seconds, which is really quick, and that's uh, obviously helped out by all-wheel drive. Um, it's a Haldex all-wheel drive, so it's not necessarily like true all-wheel drive all the time. It's really part of the stability control uh, system. So when you need it, it'll kick in. Uh, but that's always good. Um, trying to think what else. Um, actually, uh, we were talking about the MQB platform um, it, with the uh, with the Volkswagen last podcast. Their um, modular platform. Right, right. So this is actually very similar to the S3, which I haven't driven. But from what I had heard before driving it, people were – who had driven the S3 uh, expected a similar driving experience. And from what I've talked to with them, uh, it actually lived up to that. So what you're getting out of this, and it's, I think 36,000 is what it starts out with, 
with a DSG, and there are uh, two transmissions. You can go six-speed manual, which a lot of people want. Unfortunately, that won't be ready until the 2016 model year, which will be in a few months. So, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, the DSG is a great transmission. We've talked about it before. It's 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 getting hard to justify manual at this point. You're you're a big fan of the STI. How would you compare yeah. it to the STI? It's more civilized than the STI. It's much more livable in terms that you want to drive it every day. You can get, It can be a grocery getter if you want it to be. Uh, you can set it to comfort mode, and uh, it's really docile. And the thing that the STI doesn't really have. Nice work. Yeah. Docile. <laughs> docile. Sorry. Is that where you live? <laughs> the, um, yeah, the STI was just a little, just, it's a little too hardcore. I think a little for, too for hard. I mean, not to say that I don't like the STI, but I just think the Golf R is something I would rather. The, have their other day. listed competition was, or not competition, competitors, according to Volkswagen, is the BMW M235i. Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. that even? Do they even compare? These strike, uh, these, I mean, those strike me as two totally different cars. You mm. can compare them in terms of the type of people that might buy them. They're both performance versions of their respective cars i would think they actually they they say the cla 45 amg is a competitor but uh-huh. yeah i was talking to people too. about maybe gla how is that not a competitor yeah. where it's that's a smaller hatch so um so they're reaching a little bit I, yeah i think so but it's but it 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 lived up to its billing as being essentially a high performance gti oh yeah absolutely you, you definitely feel the power um i think I would have liked to take it to a track because mm-hmm. that would have really proven the difference between that and the GTI. Driving it every day on a normal road, it's close to a GTI. And if you really didn't know, you might think that you're in a regular golf. But then when you start pushing it, that's when you do notice everything different. I was trying to pick Greg's brain when I was writing the quick spin. And I was asking him, is this is, is the Golf R to a GTI what the GTI is to the Golf? Hmm. Very good. And I think that's probably the general consensus. Yeah. It's, it's not, a, a it's a very, it's not <laughs> entirely like different car, but it's just a really good version of an already good car. Right. right. Fair enough. Genius. Yeah. Absolutely. We all are. No. Uh, time now for our lightning round, talking about geniuses here. Let's see what we think about this. Uh, we have basically uh, two minutes, give or take a few seconds, to debate something that is in the automotive uh media right now and when we're time is up uh, patrick's going to hit the bell and if we run out of gas we'll stop okay uh recently bmw discovered a glitch in their connected drive system uh this is basically their latest infotainment system that can be very and much integrated with a smartphone it's a glitch that gave up unencrypted vehicle and owner info to hackers Uh, and basically allowed hackers to get into the car. With more companies moving towards a connected car, one that offers information, diagnostics, and even remote vehicle control, how serious is this issue going to be? Does it deserve serious money and resources towards preventing hacking? Is this just the tip of the iceberg of what's to come? What do you think? You all basically are smartphone users. I mean, nobody likes their information stolen, uh, so I think it's it should definitely be looked into. Um, but I'm not sure what is going to come of it because I mean, we've seen in recent months how many people are being hacked, and these are people who we assume are extremely good at what they do, and they're being hacked by people. So it's just it's a little scary when you think about vehicle to vehicle communications and the havoc that could be caused. I mean, I don't know. 
Uh, yes, way above my pay grade. I'm, <laughs> I'm outside of my realm of expertise here, but I, th- I think uh, – Well, as a know, consumer. As more and more yeah. information is out there, I mean, the whole aspect of privacy is is shrinking. I mean, uh, uh, the more information that's out there, the more people that are going to be trying to get a hold of it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, hackers getting more and more advanced at what they do, and it's getting easier and easier to – to get all this information, so I really don't know where I see things going. Yeah, I mean, it's a little scary to think that um, if you have an, an app and your car has an associated app with it where you can unlock your car and unlock your car and, and remotely start it. it, that's a little scary if, yeah. if pretty much anyone else can access that. But, I mean, for the most part, at least now, I'd use integrate my smartphone to listen to music or something. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't care if someone can see what music I'm listening to. I don't really care. You know, I think one of the things is it says is that as the automakers move to this sort of stuff, especially when it comes to, say, just car theft, um, they've got to make sure that other parts of the theft prevention process, like right now you can remotely start your car, but unless you're in the car, you can't shift it out of gear. Right. They've got to make sure that the backup systems are robust. Yeah, it's certainly a safety issue, too. I mean, if they can tap into cars and shut them down while they're driving, I mean, that's... What happens if you're on 80, you know, 80 miles an hour down an interstate and right, somebody and someone shuts your car off. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly something they need to... Uh, so, yes, I think they do need to devote serious money and resources towards it. <laughs> and this is not just an example of people being overly paranoid, yeah. right? No, I think it's... And, you know, when we're, we're basically a year away from what they say are the first... Uh, self-driving cars under limited conditions, and boy, they better get that right. It's going to be a new generation of yeah. terrorists. I yeah, that's what it kind of worries me a little too. Wow, that was scary. Yeah. All right, let's end on a horribly yeah. horrifying oh, note. No, no. <laughs> Uh, but here's an uplifting one from Mel. This is part of our viewer mailbag. Uh, he says he has a Toyota Sienna, a Sienna which has 194,000 miles on it, and it has developed a slow transmission leak. Can I safely try a stop leak product to try and solve the problem? What do you folks think? 194,000 miles it's like on at a this slow point, transmission leak. That's <laughs> quite the problem. Um, I've actually tried a stop leak uh, for my power steering pump, uh, and uh, that was in a, an old older Camry, and it actually worked great. Um, I haven't had any problems with it since then. So, if 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 you're going to ask me about personal experience, I've had a good experience, so I would probably recommend it. Now, I haven't used it for a transmission, but I, I have. Uh, admittedly, it was a rear drive car, which this is front drive. And generally what happens is one of the seals starts to get hardened and you put in the additives that are designed to make the seals swell up and it will uh, it'll put the, the problem at bay for a while. And when you're talking about transmission with 194,000 miles, why would you not want to try that first? Because the next alternative is much more expensive. Yeah, I don't really add anything to that. It's certainly worth a shot. It doesn't work. You're, you're going to have to get a rebuild anyway. So, yeah, uh, or put a five, pan six under bucks it. And, uh, yeah. Give it a shot. So, Mel, I think you could be congratulated for the fact that you've gotten 194,000 miles out with the— yeah, Clearly, uh, you've made the right choices so far, yeah. so go ahead and, so go go ahead and give it a track. Just, just look at the can of the fluid or the additive uh, and make sure it's, it indicates that it will you know, work on the seals and maybe swell them up, if that's where you think the leak is coming from, which generally, in this case, it usually is. Yeah, and try it once. If it doesn't work, then move on. But, yeah, yeah I wouldn't keep— Dumping stuff in there. No, and I wouldn't spend a lot of money on a vehicle with 194,000 miles on it anyway. 
Okay, thank you very much, panelists. I want to thank our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, our podcast creator, Bob Mixter, and our podcast producer, Patrick Lucas, along with our writer-producer, Brian Robinson, and our assistant producer, Greg Carlos. We've all really enjoyed being with you today. So thank you very, very much for listening to our Motor Week podcast. Be sure to watch Motor Week on your public television stations or all around the country, or catch us and catch us on the Velocity Cable Channel. Till next time, I'm John Davis. Thank you very much for joining us at Motor Week. You have been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by TireRack.com and by Die Hard. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch Motor Week, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.